Great to have you at Southfield today, the very last Sunday of August. Summer is kind of burnt up. It's done. We're moving into fall. Mm -hmm. Just commenting, I'm amazed. I mean, the amount of rain we've had has kept us way greener than we normally are at the end of August. So, looks pretty. Really, really nice. And I'm glad the lawn is in great shape. Do you remember what it looked like after camp? How it looked like, you know, a match and the place would have gone up. It was ground out. It is nice and green and ready for us next weekend. Because next weekend, what do we do? We're going to be out on the lawn. So one service, 10 a.m., We'll be out uh, with everybody from, uh, from both services. And the, the great thing about that is, I mean, we encourage you to bring your lawn chairs or whatever, but we've seen some pretty impressive setups. As, oh, we, yeah. as we get deeper and deeper into these outdoor services, people know like, hey, the last time I came, I didn't know I had a little uh, colic bald spot, but uh, it got sunburned during that service. So now we've, we've had people with umbrellas. And I mean, I think there was even a tent, like a, a mini like beach tent last time. So. Bring your setup. We'd love to have you out there. Um, and again, it is just one service. After that service, a uh, couple of cool things happening. We have, what was it, seven, eight people, seven or getting, eight people yeah. getting baptized. So we'll leave straight from the outdoor service to go down to uh, Four Rivers Environmental Education Center and get, uh, get those people declaring their faith right there in the river. And fortunately, I mean, up until last week, the water had been warming. So yeah. all these people that waited until Labor Day to make sure that the water was steaming, uh, that hopefully will be, will be set that way. We had, we had a better than an inch dump of rain last Saturday. Yeah. And so last Sunday, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a water wimp. I mean, like when I go to a pool or whatever, I dabble the toe and determine, can I go in? And sometimes it's a long time before my body is getting in that water. When I get to the river, I'm like, I'm going in. I'm not even thinking about it. Last week, I thought about it a little bit. I got in a step or two and went, whoo, this is, this is chilly water. It, got, it went down a bit. So hopefully, hopefully within a week here of sun, it's getting back in good shape. And actually, the image that you see, that's exactly where we go baptize people, which mm-hmm. is a, just an absolutely beautiful spot on the, on the DuPage River. So, so have that plan next week of show up for the 10 o'clock, bring your lawn chair, and then afterward, uh, join us as we head over to the river. Uh, we had some fun in the first service and then I realized I didn't do anything to fix it. So this is the wrong weekend update. So we have no idea what's going on around here. We're just, we're at a complete loss. But anyway, you knew a few things regardless of what was on the paper. A couple of things, yeah. Next Sunday, because it is Labor Day, we've got the outdoor service and baptisms. We're actually going to be taking the afternoon off from Revive. Give everybody that one last um, time to to be together as families before we hit the, the fall running. Um, so no revive next next Sunday. We are uninterrupted um, for re- refuge, though. So this Wednesday and next Wednesday, uh, we'll, we'll be meeting um, on through the fall, which is exciting. Things have been going really well. Um, but then also uh, journey groups. Journey groups are starting. Some are starting within the week. Some are starting within the next two weeks. So if you haven't logged in, to either the Church Center app or gone on the website to look at all the different offerings, you need to do that ASAP. A couple of groups have closed due to the, the size capacity that we have. It's not that we're turning people away, but some when they meet at a house, you only have so much space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so make sure that, that you log in, look at all the available opportunities, and get signed up for those. Because we, we were just speaking last week that a couple of these groups may even split um, to make sure that we have room for everybody that wants to, to be in and a part of that, but we need to know who's going to be um, in those groups before we make any of those decisions. So journey group, sign up, do it today. Thank you. And just again, the reminder that next Sunday, if you show up at the normal time, the service will be probably about 10 minutes from done. So you want to be here for the whole thing, 10 o'clock. Some of you are wondering if that is our church property. Uh, The mountain in the background might be a giveaway. It might be a giveaway. The idea was to make sure you need a lawn chair, you need a place to sit. We do have several that we bring along uh, just in case. So you, um, you kind of impressed me quite greatly yesterday by passing along the fact that you had done some running. And your running was rather, in my mind, quite impressive. I mean, it, it wasn't. I, I did not send that along so that you could talk about it here. Uh, well, I, I understand morning, that. But, but here we are. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's more of an accountability thing. I'm sending it so that I, so that I can keep up with, with my running because 
what I, a uh, new venture I took on this fall was coaching the Shanahan cross country team, uh, the Shanahan Junior High cross country team, and we've been going for a solid three weeks. I thought that as a coach on this team, I'd be getting a lot of my own running in, and what I found is that I spend most of my time at the back with the walkers. Now, while at practice, that's great. Um, it, I haven't really gotten up to, up to snuff, and I've got some, some kids that are already smack-talking me. Uh, the top girls on our team are very fast. And whenever they see me walking with the back of the pack, which again, the back of the pack, nothing wrong with that. Some of them are like fifth graders on, you know, at their fourth and fifth day of running. Um, but the girls are looking and saying, Coach Pap, why are you always walking? Why are you always going? So I, uh, I have to make sure that I'm in shape. Now, the, the thing that separates where they're at versus me, they are very fast. So they're going to just start, we have our first meet on Tuesday, and they're going to p- start plugging out some really quick times. So I have to have the distance. Yeah. While I can say, you know, I'm not the fastest out there, I have to be able to say, yeah, well, I can run farther than you because I'm an immature seventh grader myself. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we got a, a solid 10 in yesterday uh, with Riley on the bike, which was awesome. Um, she kept me, she kept me paced. I would never make her run 10 miles being pregnant. Um, but so she got to ni- enjoy a nice leisurely bike ride with me while I huffed and puffed my way to, to my first double digit run in a, a very long time. It's just funny standing here listening to you talk. It, it struck me. I mean, it had a flashback to like 40 years ago. The, um, Cross-country coach at Cedarville was named Coach King. He had your haircut. Is that the required cross-country coach haircut? What's I only, the deal? I, I got the, cross, the IESA official cross-country and track rule book uh, this week, so a couple weeks after the season started. And I, I opened it up, and the first thing they say is crew cut or, or bald. So, it's, it's amazing. Uh, so we're, yeah, That's we're amazing. Here. Well, all that, all that leading us into our scripture passage for today, where Paul says, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith. We're coming down to the very end of that, of this short letter that we've been looking at all summer, and so I would love for you to read uh, chapter 4 to us. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not, Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and carry out the full ministry that God has given you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on his day of return. And this prize isn't just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Timothy, Please come as soon as you can. Demas has, le- has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Also bring my books, especially my papers. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he has fought against everything that we have said. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me, but may it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into the kingdom of heaven. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and those living in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed at at Corinth, and I left Trophimus at Miletus. 
Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus sends you greetings. And so do Pudens, Linus, Claudius, and all the brothers and sisters. May the Lord be with your spirit, and may his grace be with all of you. Amen. I'm grateful for these inspired words, God, your word given to us, and that in this particular passage of Scripture, we hear another side of Paul. We, we know and, and appreciate the, the scholar and teacher who can convey the doctrine of Romans and Ephesians and Galatians, and, and, and I appreciate that now we get to hear the pained heart of a person who is days or weeks from having his life taken from him. That he's, that he's willing, through your inspired spirit, to, to let us in on, on the things he's going through on the final page of his life. And yet it's all still worth it because he's had the privilege of sharing the gospel with the world. And so as we look at this passage today, I, think we'd, I pray that we'd think about our own life the way we're living it? Are we living it in a way that, as your word says, is worthy of the calling that we've received? Are we, are we running the race well? Are we, are we pouring ourselves out completely for what you desire? Thank you so much for this beautiful passage. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a young uh, pastor learning how to teach the Bible to a group of people I would listen to different uh, Bible teachers on the radio. Back then, that's how you got it, the radio. And I'd listen to different Bible teachers. And I'd listen to them not only for their content, but I'd listen to uh, their communication skills. How did they go about communicating the ancient Word of God to modern ears and trying to get an idea of, of how to do that and how best to do that? I appreciate, in particular, uh, Chuck Swindoll who is still alive. He's 87. I think he's still preaching from time to time. And um, he, he, did a, he did a great job, really, in his, in his era, did a great job of, of taking the Word of God and, and, and bringing it to life for the modern ear. So he'd begin with, a, with an introduction that was captivating, and as you went through the points, it wasn't just three points in a poem. Every, every point that he made talked about how this can be lived Monday morning. It wasn't just talking about the Bible here on Sunday and then closing the book and leaving it here, but how can we live this throughout the week? He, he'd talk application, he'd bring it to a great conclusion, and I was appreciative of learning not only from his content, but also from the way that he preached wrote a lot of great books, including books like Improving Your Serve and Strengthening Your Grip. And he wrote a couple of devotional books. One of the devotional books was called The Seasons of Life, in which uh, he had a series of devotions about the spring of life, the summer of life, the fall of life, and the winter of life, a time of growth, a time of maturing, a time of atrophy, and, and, and seasons of death. And after that devotional book was out for a while, he produced a second and that second one focused in particular on the hardest season of all. He named that book, Come Before Winter. And I appreciate that when he used that wording, he wasn't just making that up himself. He, he, he lifted it. He stole it from the Apostle Paul. He took it from the Apostle Paul. He took it from Scripture. Because it is at this point in the life of Paul that he says, with urgency and desperation... Timothy, get here soon. Timothy, I need you to come here before winter. Get here as quickly as you can. Have you ever received one of those calls? Have you ever received a call from a, a family member or a friend that said, I need you here now? And you knew that now meant now. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I need you here now. Do not delay. The come before winter is, if you, if you don't leave before winter comes, you're not getting here till spring. You won't be able to travel in the winter, and, and I need you. No delay. Get here. What was it that was so urgent in the life of Paul that he would say, I need you here today? Well, we know from what is written as well as from history that these final words of Paul written on this page are written probably days or weeks before his execution. He's about to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. And so there is urgency just from the timing of what's happening to him. He's in a Roman prison. And in that Roman prison, he's having experiences that are brutal. They're brutal physically, but they're also brutal psychologically and emotionally and relationally. 
So he says, get here, get here now. I want to look at some of the critical conditions that he's enduring. Uh, Brian laid them out for us today. Starting in verse 10, he talks about a guy named Demas. It's not the first time we've seen Demas in Scripture. He's also mentioned at the end of the book of Philemon. And at that point, Paul is talking about how valuable he is in ministry, how useful he is. But here it is probably about two years later, and he's saying, Demas, is he's given up on it. He's, he's loving the things of the world. He's left me. He's off to Thessalonica. He's doing his own thing now. I don't know if you've ever invested deeply in a person, invested in them spiritually. It might even be just at work. You were teaching them. You were mentoring them, grooming them, training them how to do your job and how to do it well. And there came a point that the person just went, eh, this isn't worth it. I want nothing to do with this. It's one thing when you're training them how to manage a machine or manage people. It's quite another thing when you're training them how to live out the gospel and that person comes to a place of saying, the word of God is useless. I'm done. I'd rather just go have things. There's some heartbreak there for Paul as he realizes someone in whom he's invested is walking away. Now, he mentions a couple other people too that walk away, but we have no reason to believe that they're, that they're in the same boat of, of giving up on God, so to speak. They just, they just need to go do work somewhere else. Titus, Titus is mentioned prominently in Scripture, great spiritual leader, but he wasn't there with Paul in his moment of need. It was a hard time. I, I think when, when he mentions Cretan, Cretans and he mentions Titus, we in Illinois can relate, Right? We can relate to digging our roots deeply into the life of another person, and we're loving being together. And then they say, ah, I got a job in Texas, or I'm off to Colorado, headed to Tennessee, or or it's North Carolina time. And and we find ourselves just going, oh, not again. Not again. I got to go through saying goodbye to someone I love. And you know, we're so well practiced in it now that you would think it would be easy. And instead, every one of them just gets a little harder and a little harder. So he had this... He had this relational desertion going on where there was a a pulling away from people that he knew, he loved, and he wanted there with him. Then I think he's also, like happens for so many of us in serious seasons or maybe end-of-life seasons, he's doing some rethinking about his life as well. Every person, no matter how great they are, has things they look back and say, I wish I had done that differently regrets we might call them, things that that we just, oh, I wish I had handled that relationship differently, whatever. He mentions that Luke is there with him, Luke the doctor, the one who wrote the gospel of Luke, this man who's actually writing out the letter as Paul dictates it, a doctor who's able to care for his wounds. So he has someone there, and, and, and he's not completely alone, but I think there's some rethinking going on too. He says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. You may remember Mark, and by the way, Mark is mentioned more than once in Scripture. We see that uh, after he's mentioned in Acts chapter 16, there's actually some growth that happens in the life of Mark. But in Acts chapter 16, he's mentioned in, in, a, in a discussion, a debate, and ultimately a conflict with Barnabas. Barnabas is Mark's cousin. He wants to bring him along on the next missionary journey. And Paul's like, man, every time we get going and, th- and things get hard, Mark runs off on us. We don't need anybody along right now now that doesn't have tough skin. Leave him here. And it it leads to a conflict between Paul and Barnabas. It's so severe that Barnabas goes one way and Paul goes another. He takes Silas. And before, by the end of the chapter, uh, Paul and Silas are singing in in a Philippian jail. I wonder if Paul at this stage of life isn't going, I wish I'd have given Mark a break. I wish that it hadn't led to the conflict with Barnabas. And so you have some of that rethinking that's going on as you're sitting in a cold, dark, lonely Roman jail. Then he talks about direct opposition. Alexander the coppersmith. I mean, wow, that's like made for a marquee, isn't it? I'm Alexander the coppersmith. You can imagine him. Big old guy comes on out. He's pounding out the copper and all. Says he did him great harm. Not great harm physically, but, but this is a guy who's constantly opposing the message. So it's hard enough to have to come up against non-believers, but this guy actually claims to be a believer and he's causing Paul great grief. He's just going through the list and saying, this is a hard season of my life, let alone the fact that I'm sitting in a Roman prison waiting for for the command that I be executed. He's going through abandonment. He says, I'm at my first defense. No one came and stood by me. I am all alone. 
I'm all alone standing there in the courtroom. It's understandable. You come to Paul's defense, they're going to say, why don't you come to prison with them? Not going to be able to walk freely. And, and I love that Paul, even in this moment, is able to say, I understand. God, don't let it be charged against them. Don't let it be charged against them. Then he starts just talking some indirectly about the conditions of prison itself. A Roman prison was a place you went to die. You, you were going to die if you were there for a long time. You would be abused, mistreated, malnourished. You would die. And so he says, when you come, bring my coat. <laughs> Winter's going to be cold. I need my coat. He says, bring my books, bring my papers, bring the word of God, bring my parchments, bring these things along. <clears throat> I think as Paul is talking about this prison experience, he's revealing to us that his, his soul needed friendships. He was, he was just so lonely. His soul needed friendships. His body that was cold needed clothing. It needed a coat. And his mind that was just so idle sitting there in a prison needed the stimulation of his books, of his papers, of the Word of God. He needed all of this. So in all of this, I love this about Paul and David and other biblical writers. They talk about how stark things are, how bad things are, but they don't put a period there. And Paul doesn't, he doesn't put a period there. He puts a but there. He says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. He recognizes that even his imprisonment is leading to the furtherance of the gospel. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, I am in the hardest time in my life right now. I'm alone and I'm waiting to die. Please get here before winter. Get here as soon as you can. Now, backing up a little bit in the passage, Paul gives three verses that I think for every Christ follower, it would be great on our deathbed to be able to quote and say, this is true of me as well. He says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. And now there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord himself, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but everybody who loves his appearing. We're going to take each of these verses one at a time and break them down and try to understand what, what uh, Paul is talking about here. So he begins by saying, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. I, I, I understand and have a, a good grasp, I think, of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, and having said that, I don't have as deep an understanding as I would like to have of them. Because I think if we truly understood the sacrificial system, it would give us so much greater an appreciation for the sacrificial death of Jesus and the gospel itself. One of the sacrifices mentioned in the Old Testament is a drink offering. And I wanted to understand a drink offering as well as I could. So a couple weeks ago, I got a book that literally was written in 1863. And this guy has several pages on drink offerings and what they're all about in Scripture. There are five different types of offering in the Old Testament. By the way, this is not a graphic from the book from 1863. Five different types of offerings in the Old Testament. You have a sin offering, a guilt offering, a burnt offering, a food offering, and a peace offering. The food offerings are where the drink offering takes place. So you have drink offerings and grain offerings. Those fall in the category of, of food offerings. Five different types of these, the sin offering and the guilt offering were required by everybody. There were certain times of life, seasons that you were supposed to come or acts that you had committed that you were either to bring a sin offering or a guilt offering, required by everybody. But the last three, the burnt offering, the food offering, and the peace offering, these were voluntary offerings. You were not required to bring them. You brought them of your own free will. They were an expression of love, devotion, and gratitude to God. So they were, it was an over and above expression of love for God. They're often given on special occasions. There were appointed feasts at which you were to bring a drink offering. And what's interesting is when you brought that drink offering, you were actually offering another sacrifice at the same time, and you would pour the drink offering over the other, other sacrifice. So it was, it was an over and above special offering given to God. And time and time again, when the drink offering is mentioned, one of the things that the writer will emphasize is the aroma or the fragrance or the sweet scent of the offering. So, so this pouring of wine off, over the offering brought a sweet smell 
to the presence of God. I kind of get that. I have a smoker. I love when that thing's going and, oh, man, you can smell that good food out there. Or when you walk out in the backyard and you're like, some neighbor is having steak. I wish they were my friend. We're just having macaroni. You know, so that the smell of the offering was beautiful in the nostrils of God. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul literally says that the sacrifice of Jesus was a sweet aroma to God himself. So this beauty found in the smell of the offering, they would bring this drink offering on in to God. Paul, this is not the only time that Paul mentions his life being like a drink offering. In Philippians chapter 2, he's giving the the Philippians, a number of instructions on how to live, not grumbling, disputing, all these things, be blameless. And in verse 17, he says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering. So there's that idea again. There's some debate. Where did the drink offering go? Did they pour it at the base of the altar? Did they pour it on the rock of the altar? Paul, Paul's saying they pour it on the sacrifice itself, on the very sacrifice. My life is being poured out on the sacrifice of your faith. So let's look at some details about drink offerings. We need to understand this. We understand what exactly Paul is saying about his life. The main texts for this are found in Leviticus chapter 23 and Numbers chapter 15. So you want to do a little more digging on your own later, you can look at those two chapters of the Word of God. They're offered along with burnt offerings and peace offerings. So you never just brought a drink offering on its own. It was offered with one of these other offerings. And an offering of wine was a quarter of a hen of wine. Now, I don't know about you, I've not bought a quarter of a hen of anything recently. What's a hen? Well, a hen is about a gallon. So you are taking about a gallon of wine and pouring it over the sacrifice, pouring it over that object that was being given to God, and you poured it out completely. When you look at the different sacrifices in the Old Testament, there are a few sacrifices where the priest was allowed to take some for himself. They weren't allowed to take a drop of the drink offering. It was to be given in its entirety to God, all of it. What's interesting, when you look at Numbers chapter 15, they were only to offer the drink offering after they entered the land. This isn't something that they did in the wilderness. And there's significance there. In part, when they entered the land, they were entering their place of rest. So once you were in your rest, that was a place of special thanksgiving to God. But they were also bringing the fruit of their own labor. They were bringing, they were bringing wine from the grapes they had crushed. They were bringing the, the fruit of their hands to be sacrificed to God. And so when you think about Paul, he's bringing the life that he's lived for God. Not someone else's life, not someone else's activities. He's bringing his own and he's pouring it out completely before God. And again, there's this emphasis on aroma. Six times in Numbers 15, it talks about the sweet smell offered to God. Why does he say my life is being poured out like a drink offering? Because he's saying I'm bringing the sum of everything I've done before for God. This, this, this quarter of a hen of life and I'm bringing it to God, and it is being poured out. It's being poured out every last drop, every last bit of it. None of it's being kept in reserve for myself. None of it's being given to someone else. All of it is being given completely to God. A beautiful picture that he paints of a life, as he says in Romans 12, that is a living sacrifice, an ongoing living sacrifice, pleasing to God, bringing a sweet aroma to the presence of God himself. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. Then he gives us the three. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith. I've read 2 Timothy many, many, many times in my life. And I've even preached through it a couple of times. So, very familiar with this letter. And this is the first time going through it that I've seen this, this connective thread throughout. When, when Paul talks in chapter 2, and he says, I want you to think about something, Timothy. I want you to, you ponder this and see what God reveals to you. He says, I want you to, I want you to think about living your life as a good soldier, standing firm, I want you to think about your life as an athlete, a person who's well-disciplined. I want you to think about your life as a farmer, a person who's, who's in faith with the land, doing what he's supposed to be doing with the land, doing his very best. 
Bring those three images together and you're going to have an idea of what it's like to live the Christian life. Here he is talking about the end of his life and he uses the exact same three images. He says, I fought the good fight. I have been a soldier for Christ. I've been involved in battles for him. I've taken a beating for him. I've taken multiple beatings for him. I've been a good soldier. I fought a very good fight. He says, I finished the race. Time and time again, the Christian life is compared to a race, to a run. Not running so that you'd come in first, but running to completion. Running fully and completely to the finish line. Being able to say, I finished the race. And then there's, I kept the faith. I kept the faith. Faith in the farmer. Faithfulness. If you're going to be a farmer, you had better be a faithful person. You can't come to spring and go, man, you know, really love to go on vacation. I know it's time to get those seeds in the ground, but eh, it'll wait a month. You wait a month, you don't have a harvest. Or you come down to harvest and you're like, oh man, there's all this fun going on right now. I'll, I'll, wait, till, I'll wait till January to go ahead and collect the harvest. Ruined, destroyed. It's not going to happen. There needs to be a faithfulness. This is what needs to be done today. And I, I think that faithfulness is so very much missing in the modern American Christian experience. We want big, bold, glamorous, names splashed all over the place, a presence everywhere. And God's saying, I want you to take one faithful step day after day after day. And it may feel monotonous, it may feel boring, and it may go totally unnoticed, but faithfulness is what I call out in my people. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. And he says, now that that's all done, Now that I'm about to be martyred, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So now his eyes have turned heavenward. He's ready to enter the heavenly kingdom, and he wants to tell us something about it. And he says, the way you've lived that life, if you've fought the good fight, if you've finished the race and you've kept the faith, you can count on some rewards for the way you've lived. God is going to pass along some rewards for the way we've lived. He refers to them as crowns. He says, we'll receive crowns for the deeds done in this life for those who are believers. What's a crown? In Greek, it's the word stephanos, which interestingly is the exact same word that is the name of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Stephen's name literally meant crown. And Paul says that God is going to hand out crowns to individuals for what they have done. Now, you kind of look at that and go, crowns, what, what's a crown all about? Why, why in the world would he give a crown? Well, because we understand crowns to be what? It's a reward. It's a reward for what you've done. He was, he was turning his mind's eye to the games at that time to the athlete who would run, and they wouldn't end up with a, with a gold imperial crown or something like that. They would end up with a, with a laurel wreath on their head. Laurel wreath would be placed on their head. In these days, it would be, you won the trophy or you got the medal. It was the way of saying, for what you've done, there will be this reward that will be ex- received. And that's why he uses the word crowns. Jesus talks about the rewards that we'll receive. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, for those who endure persecution and hardship, reward, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. There's a reward for enduring persecution. In, in Matthew chapter 16, when he's talking about denying yourself, taking up the cross, follow me. Whoever save his life will lose it. Those who lose their life will, will, will find it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Verse 27 says, for the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. He will bring rewards for what people have done. In Revelation chapter 22, Jesus himself says, look, I am coming and my reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. In case you're wondering if it's Jesus, he says, here's my name. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end. So he uses crowns to talk reward, but I think he also uses them in a sense of imagery. I don't know if crowns in heaven are literal or not. I don't know if we'll all be running around with a little laurel wreath on our head. I I think what, what God has to do for us a lot of times when he talks about heaven, 
When he talks about the kingdom of God, he has to use words like like or as because we have no category for what's coming. We can't even begin to picture what's coming. Some of you have two-year-olds or have had two-year-olds. Ever sat down with a two-year-old and read them a book, a trigonometry textbook? Just read them some trigs, see how much they can figure out. Go ahead. Now, I know some of you, you think your child's so brilliant. They'd, I get it. You'll, you'll learn. But anyway, the rest of us, we know that it's not worth reading it to our 18-year-old. You know, we're just, it's, it's so far beyond our understanding. Heaven is so far beyond our understanding that I think God has to say, you know, the, you know those races and they give out crowns? Same for you. You know, you know that trophy they give out at Whiteford? Same for you. That's what's coming. Just, just understand, a reward is coming your way. A reward. And why, why then do we get these? I mean, you know, what's, what's the deal about having a reward in heaven? I love this part. We get the reward so we can return the reward. We're given grace from God so that we can give glory back to God. Revelation chapter 4 says there's going to be this scene in heaven where people are, they're flinging their crowns, they're casting their crowns at the feet of Jesus. And we're going to have this privilege of returning our crowns to the feet of Jesus. And I know some of you are going, but, but it was my crown, I don't want to give it away. Again, we're understanding it as a two-year-old with trigonometry. We're not understanding it from a heavenly perspective. Let me give you another picture. Have you ever gone to a party, you showed up, and everybody had a gift, and you realized, oh my word, I was supposed to bring a gift. Uh-oh, do you still eat the chicken? You know, or do you kind of just politely stand back and not take because you didn't pay? What do you do with that? Can you imagine what it's going to be like to be in the throne room of heaven and people are giving glory back to God and you're standing there going, hmm, I didn't know I was supposed to bring something. We get the privilege of throwing glory back to God because of the grace He's shown our way. When will this happen? When will these crowns, when will these rewards happen? The Bible tells us they will be received at what's called the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, where we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Two judgments at the end. You have the judgment seat of Christ that's for the believers and the great white throne judgment that's reserved for those who are not believers. The way I understand it, they, they are offered the opportunity given a defense of why they should enter into heaven. And if they don't say Jesus, and none of them will, God has to say, there's only one way to get in here, and his name is Jesus. That's it. What Jesus has done, that's it. Great white, uh, the, the judgment seat of Christ does not determine your eternal destiny. Your eternal destiny is already determined if you're a devoted Christ follower. You're there at the judgment seat of Christ because you are a believer. So this is an opportunity to determine whether or not you belong in heaven or if you did something that was missed in the record keeping and, whoa, we didn't know you did that, out of here. That's not what this is about. This is an opportunity to stand before Jesus and having received his grace, give glory back to him through the ways we're rewarded for the way we lived our life. Now, I got to admit, I was a little confused on this as a little kid. There was this booklet out when I was a little kid called This Was Your Life. It was a, a chick track. I don't know if you, Jack, Trick, Jack Chick wrote these. And this particular one terrified me. You got this guy, I was a little Baptist kid, so you could see this guy was doing all the Baptist sins. He, was, he, had, a, he had a pipe, he had his whiskey in his hand, he had his very fast sports car that no middle-aged man should have. Here he is. He's just living the good life, right? Living the good life. Boom, Grim Reaper comes, he dies, croaks, and before you know it, an angel is taking him through, on through the galaxies, and they're, and they're in a big celestial waiting room, and they hear next. And when they hear next, they come, and there's this throne, this huge glowing throne. And this guy's standing down there, and, and God says, all right, roll the tape. And in the next however many moments or hours or years, the entirety of this guy's life flashes before a huge screen that everybody in heaven can see. And while he's doing this, you can see from the next image, he's naked. And he's naked watching a movie of his life in front of everybody else. And then he starts realizing and having remorse for the way he lived. And, oh, God, please let me in. This can't be the way it goes. And his name's not found written in the book of life. And he's cast into the lake of fire. I read this, and i got to admit, it scared the Hades out of me. All right? Two reasons. I do not like being naked in front of other people. 
I mean, we're going to stand naked in front of billions of people. Yikes, some mics, count me out. And the idea that everything I had ever done would be on a big projector, I mean, I'm just like vomiting my head off. I can't, no, please, no. Some people get confused and they wonder, is that what the, great, is that what the judgment seat of Christ is going to be like? That we're going to literally review every moment, every sin, everybody's going to hear everything you ever did in private? Think what we understand from the judgment seat of Christ is Jesus is saying, you are here by my grace alone. This isn't time to review your sins. But it is time to ask the question, how did you live your life for me? And I think in light of that, we will experience some regret when we look back at times that we were selfish for our li- with our lives instead of giving our lives completely to God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that we get the privilege of building in life and we have different building materials. We have gold, silver, and precious stones. These are, the, these are the good works we do for God with the right motives, the right heart, the right spirit. Gold, silver, precious stones. Building a beautiful foundation. But he says we also build with wood, hay, and straw. And the wood, hay, and straw is when we, we do the right thing, but we know full well our motivation is corrupt. Or we flat out do the wrong thing just because we want to do the wrong thing. And we're putting in the wood, the hay, and the straw. And he says, to picture a fire where all of those things are burned and the only thing that remains is precious. And he's asking basically, how's your internal investment going? Are you investing your life for God? Is there a pile of gold, silver, and precious stones? Or do you have a bunch of wood and hay and straw that's going to burn up in a moment? We receive crowns as rewards, pictures of that reward God is going to give us. We return them. We've been given grace. We return them to glorify God. It happens at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I love, you can, you can get on online this afternoon and get, get this uh, online booklet if you want. David Jeremiah, great Bible teacher. Type in David Jeremiah Crowns. Uh, you'll be able to find the link for this and download it. And he went through the five crowns that are mentioned in the New Testament that we have the privilege of, of receiving as rewards that we get to give back to Christ in that day. Paul mentions the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, and he says, this is the, for the person who longs for and loves my appearing. There's something in our growth with our relationship with God that we come to a point of saying, all I want is Jesus. That's it. I don't need it. All I want is Jesus. I, I used to love the return of Christ in college. I wouldn't have studied for an exam, and I'd be sitting there praying, God, if Jesus wants to come right now, it'd be really good. <laughs> Get me out of here. This isn't the person that loves a rescue plan. This is a person that's so in love with Jesus, they can't wait to see him. And we receive a crown of righteousness, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. He also talks about the crown of victory or the imperishable crown or the uncorruptible crown. And the thing that I find beautiful about this crown is it's all about the way you run the race. And it's not about the fact that you finished the line first. It's about the fact that you finished with faithfulness. God loves faithfulness. God is so into faithfulness. For so many of us, we're into the big splash, the look what I did. And he says, I just want to see you be faithful one day at a time, one step at a time, doing the little things to honor me. And he says, that person that does that is storing up treasures in heaven. And they ultimately get an eternal inheritance. So you have that crown. Then there's the crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing has been typically referred to also as the soul winner's crown. This is a person who has such a burden for lost people that they are sharing their faith all the time and people are coming into the kingdom of God. They're just, they're getting to know God and, and more and more and more. Uh, they, they get that privilege of bringing people into that relationship. Also talks about the crown of life. It says, blessed is the man or blessed is the one who perseveres under trial Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So again, that idea of of enduring persecution, enduring hardship, enduring in a way that is faithful. And then finally, he refers to the crown of glory, and the crown of glory is, is given to those who shepherd people well. I don't think it's just given to pastors. It's given to people who shepherd people well. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. 
So he closes it all out by saying, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is near. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. So two questions for you in closing. The first has to do with that drink offering. Are you pouring yourself freely for God? Are you pouring yourself out freely for God? Are you giving of yourself completely for God? Or, or, or you still find yourself saying, I'd rather keep the bottle for myself. I have things I'd, I'd rather do. What, what, a, what a spiritual regret we would have if we came to the end of our life and realized we kept so much in reserve. We kept so much away from God. Instead of, we were created for him. Why would we not give ourselves back completely for him? And so am I, am I, am I pouring myself out for God? And then the second question I, I, I'd ask you about today is your investment plan. Where are you investing? For too many of us, we are investing in the dirt of earth. We're investing in the here and now. And the Bible calls that wood, hay, and straw. And we're going to watch it burn up in the heavenly realm. But Jesus is quite clear that we can invest our lives in things that are eternal, in things that matter, in things that never fade away. Moth and rust can't corrupt it. Where's your investment of your life right now? Is your investment of life in the dirt of this earth? Or is your investment of life in the kingdom of heaven? Am I giving of myself completely to God? And are my eyes focused on the heavenly realm, focused on his kingdom? God, I pray that that is where our eyes would be. I pray that our focus would be on heaven. I pray that we'd stop being so selfish with our lives. You gave us this life, and we, we withhold it from you. Help us to see the imagery on a regular basis of our life just being poured out to the very last drop, reserved for nobody but Jesus. Give us the wisdom to invest our lives wisely. Oh, we get so caught up in the daily junk that we forget that there's a bigger picture, that one day our breath will be taken from us and we will stand in the presence of God. We want to come into your presence and be able to give you back arms full of rewards. From the grace that we've received, we want to give you constant glory. Help us to see what you see in the way you see. And not simply as earthly beings, in Jesus' name, amen. So we turn to communion, and at communion you have juice, wine, poured out completely. As a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus. If you get the privilege of walking up and lingering long enough, you can smell it. The aroma comes to you. And you're reminded of the aroma of the sacrifice of Jesus for your sins. He poured out his life completely for us. Nothing was held in reserve. And he asked us to imitate him. Let's remember that as we go to communion right now. The song we're about to sing speaks of the goodness of God. And um, I, this song always has kind of a distinct memory point for me because we sang it the Sunday after, after Kim's mom had left this earth and gone to heaven. And the words were, were significant in light of a person who has lived the completeness of their life and like Timothy has a chance to express what life is all about what it's all been. And the songwriter says, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. And with every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. You've given me so much grace that I can't help but return glory to you. And that's what we're going to do right now in recognition of the grace he has given us. Let's give him glory through our song.
in my Father's house. We, um, I think as humans, we're always very earthbound. That's kind of the way we work. And then there are generations that are even more earthbound than others. We live in a generation that does not have a, much of an awareness of mortality at all. We think 60 is the new 57. You know, we're, that's the way we work, right? No, I'm kidding. Uh, we just, we, we don't believe the day is coming that we will die. We don't think that we have to think about later. It, it's like the kid who wants to try out to run, and all summer long they say, I got tomorrow, I got tomorrow, I got tomorrow, I got tomorrow. And then the day comes for the tryouts, and they're not ready. There's a theologian from the last century who had his mother die at a very early age. And his mom turns to dad and she says, always keep eternity before the eyes of the children. And I really think that's my job, to always keep eternity before the eyes of the people of God. That the reality is you don't know if you'll be here next week. Or you might live to 170. Who knows? But one day you will die. And after that, the judgment, as the Word of God says. This past week, a, a, a friend of mine who was involved in leading Green Lake Conference Center for many years prior to Ben, on Tuesday morning, shut his eyes here and opened his eyes there. 78 years old, and he's gone from this life. Our day will come, too that we will shut our eyes here and we will open our eyes somewhere else, either in the presence of God or far, far away from God. And we don't want to wait on investing our lives, whether it is the choice to receive His grace or the ongoing living in His grace. So this week, I don't know how many of you still eat cereal. Pour out the milk over the cereal. Maybe you're not a cereal eater, but you like to pour yourself some coffee in the morning. Or you like to go to McDonald's and <laughs> fill the machine from, from the machine, whatever it is. Every time you see pouring this week or you do pouring this week, think about your life. Are you hoarding it? Or are you pouring it out freely? Are giving you life completely and totally for God? That's his desire for every one of us. That's keeping eternity before our eyes at all times. So as we break away today, you have the chance to come down front and pray if you want over on this side or if you're ready to let us know who you are and say hi, I'll be waiting for you down here. Enjoy your week.